welcome to ESPN, the Far Post podcast. We're back for another round. We are 13 rounds into the A-League women's season. We had some very fun results over the weekend. As always, lots of things we love to see, lots of things to talk about. So it's going to be another good episode. I feel it in my waters. Um, before we begin today's uh, episode, we want to acknowledge the traditional owners of the lands we're recording on today, the Wurundjeri and Gadigal people and pay our respects to their elders past and present. Uh, Anna Harrington is off on holidays taking a well-deserved break, so you are stuck with the riffraff that is me, Marissa Lodanik, Sam Lewis and Angela Christian-Wilkes for at least the next couple of weeks. So, friends, it's going to be fun, it's going to be great, and we're going to start with some you love to see it as we usually do. So, Sam, you can kick us off. What did you love to see this week? So it was a it was a week of bangers uh, in the dub, wasn't it? But there was one particular banger that I really, really loved to see, and that was the penalty from Alex Chidiak in Melbourne Victory's win over Western Sydney Wanderers. Not just because you love to see Alex Chidiak scoring, particularly after being called up for the Matildas, the Cup of Nations, but the way in which she did it. It was so just the kind of goal that you wish that you could score at Sunday League. She absolutely leathered it. She just put a put her laces through it and it pinged off the most beautiful sound in the world. It pinged off the underside of the crossbar, bounced into the line and back up into the roof of the net. It was just like one of those audacious pens that if it goes wrong, it goes so deeply wrong that you make like a not top 10 highlights reel and it's like the ball sails into another you know, universe. Um, but if it goes right, which it did here, it is oh so right. So Alex Chudiak's penalty for victory and the lovely ping, that sound. Oh, you love to see it. I am not being hyperbolic when I say a Matilda scoring a penalty added a year back to my life. I will now be living <laughs> an entire 365 days longer because a Matilda scored a penalty. It was. So it was giving big, Um, funnily enough, like Maya Markovsky's pen last season against the Wanderers. It was giving that yeah. energy. And I'm like, yes, into it. Big fan. Angela, what did you love to see this week? Not to get too repetitive on this podcast, but I'm also going to say that I love to see Alex Chudiak do Alex Chudiak things. Um, my... Favourite moment from the Victory Wanderers matchup was the through ball that she sent through in the early moments of the game for Betty Goad um, to score her first goal of the season. Just, uh, yeah, the, the through ball was just so sexy. It was just, and she was able to, like, cross it across both her body and the, like, Wanderers player that was trying to, like, nudge her off the ball and it just and just did it so quickly and so smoothly and just ah anyway and then um Goad was like pointing to where she wanted it and she just like she'd completely nailed the pass and then Goad was able to just basically get through on goal one-on-one bottom corner you love to see it so yeah also big fan of seeing Goad get her first for the season um I thought they were both fantastic in this game um and yeah, uh, I think it, overall it was a pretty positive result for victory, which we'll probs get into. But, yeah, Alex Chidiak doing through balls. Um, you love to see it. And also a shout-out to um, Folletta at Perth who did a fantastic through ball for their new signing, Hannah Blake, to get yes. the, the goal in the dying moments of 
that game as well. So, um, yeah, That's that was awesome. a really fun yeah. through ball. I love a through ball. I'm a attacking mid. It's ah, bread and butter. You love to see it. I love that you went full Italian. You were like, ah, yes, <laughs> this is the stuff. Um, there were really there was just so much good stuff from the dub in particular this weekend. Like we easily could have mentioned Alani and Chevsky's banger. Love to see it. Love the phone celebration. Reminds me of the good old yes. days, the 2019 Christine Nenvark days. Um, but we don't need to get into <laughs> that. Um, Sarah Hunter's goal. And again, the handshake celebration with Kirsty Fenton just made me giggle. Sensational areas. Um, even Laura Hughes, friend of the pod, Laura Hughes, I really enjoyed her goal yes. for Canberra on the weekend. But um, the one that I want to talk about is not from the dub at all. It is from Sweden and our very own Kyra Cooney-Cross. She just absolutely, it was so perfectly placed, right, you know, evicted those spiders from the top corner. It was like, you're out, fellas, see you later. It was so beautiful. And we've always known that she's had that in her arsenal and in her locker, so it was excellent to be able to see it and it's always you know we're heading into an international window so seeing all of these Matildas players doing well it's like yes I like it this is the good stuff um and in a similar vein got to give a big shout out and a big you love to see it to Mackenzie Arnold as well who was absolutely huge and enormous for West Ham against Arsenal in the WSL uh over the weekend she was just stopping things left right and center so I suppose my you love to see it is just um, Matilda's doing well heading into an international window. We absolutely love to see it. <laughs> Sam just did the sign of the cross, and I don't think any of us are particularly religious, but yes, I agree. <laughs> <laughs> um, but we will, obviously, we're going to be talking about Matilda's plenty next week. We've got our first Cup of Nations game literally next Thursday. So there'll be plenty of Matilda's chat to come. We're going full dub mode basically for this episode so we need to have a quick look over the results that just occurred and it started off with Sydney defeating Melbourne City 3-0 which was a huge result Perth defeated uh, Western United 3-1 which again massive areas um Melbourne Victory defeated Western Sydney Wanderers also 3-1 um, it was a really good week to be a team that scored three goals. Canberra stopped the rot. They stopped their back-to-back 5-0 losses with the 3-0 win over the Jets. And Brisbane obviously didn't get the three-goal memo. They only scored one, but it was an important win for them over the Reds. So like I said right at the top, lots of interesting results, but we really need to stick with that Sydney-Melbourne City game because particularly over the last couple of seasons, these have been big games they've been semi-finals they've been you know title contenders premiership race shapers they've been really really important games but you see that scoreline 3-0 and you're like that doesn't sound like um you know two teams battling it out for um premiership honors so the question that I pose to both of you is with this result for Sydney FC and adding in uh Western United losing over the weekend have the Sky Blues once again become the team to beat in the title race? I mean, I'm biased in this conversation, right? Like, I I have always sort of believed that this is a team on paper that can do really well. Um, it was just a matter of being able to 
fill in the gaps that they had coming over from last season, particularly positionally in terms of player rotations, like losing Taylor Ray and having Shay Holman in such a pivotal position, how well she was able to acclimatise to that and what that would do in terms of the balance of the midfield and all this sort of stuff. But this was a game where I think it it was a throwing down of a gauntlet in some ways. Um I do I, – so I was at the Sydney Football Stadium for this game as well. It was a stunning day. There were lots of people as well, which was fab. And M- Melbourne City were not good. They were so – they were so slow. They were really ineffective going forward. They just seemed to have lost the thing that was sparking their vibe at the start of the season. And I know that we've spoken in the past about how um, – it, it's it's potentially a, a, a player situation, um, like having Hannah Wilkinson and Briley Henry now as your two starting centre forwards. They they just are not very exciting city players. And I was speaking to a friend of the pod, Lockie, at the game, and we were watching the way that City tried to attack. And really, the only the only sort of creative, um, dynamic, really unexpected like game-changing player that City had was Rihanna Polichina, but she doesn't, like, you you can't really expect her to do all the work. Um, And it sort of feels like she has had to do that in the last couple of games, particularly without Cote Rojas, who is that similar kind of tech is really creative, interesting, flary player. And the two of them combined really well at the start of the season, which is, I think, why they scored so many goals together. But Polichina now sort of has the, the weight of creativity on her own shoulders and having Briley Henry, who is basically just run really fast up and down in a straight line and Hannah Wilkinson, which is sort of be tall and strong in the air. She doesn't really have the, the same kind of dynamic with those two players. Um, but on the other hand, Sydney were fantastic. I think Shane Holman is getting better and better in that defensive midfield, midfield position. And she's combining so beautifully with Mackenzie Hawksby and, and Sarah Hunter and giving them more license to go forward, which is, I think, really important because they're, they're both very creative players, particularly Hawksby. She's become one of the highest assistants for the entire league over the last two seasons as a result of her move there. So yeah, Sydney, Sydney were great. Um, the the front three, once again, really effective, like Princess Abini and Cordy Vine, absolutely whipping in crosses all the time. Madison Haley seems to have gotten over her weird, like, goal droughty moment that she seemed to be having for a bit, um, slammed in a couple. She's now sort of back up in terms of the golden boot race as well, which is exciting. Yeah, like they they just they were just the Sydney the Sydney of old. They sort of had a weird blip for a game or two where they seemed like they were quite tired. Um, but now they've they've come back. They've come back with a vengeance. And compared to the teams around them in the top four, they have one or two games in hand. Um, and they're already sitting third. And I think if if they're able to win both of their next two games, they'll go top of the ladder. So yeah, like I'm I'm I've been on the Sydney train for years, but uh, this was, I think, a performance that really cemented the fact that, like, even though they're sitting third at the moment, you can't ever, ever write off this team. Yeah, I, I suppose I'm not on the Sydney train as much as Sam is. I think Sam's actually driving the train for, for <laughs> a lot of the time. Um, toot toot, motherfuckers. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Um, what was I going to say? I, but I, I, 
I I'm aware enough to kind of my response when you asked that question and Marissa was like, were they ever the team like were ever was Sydney ever a team that you didn't want to be? I sorry, that's a really bad way of phrasing it. You're like, are they the team to beat? And I'm like, I feel like they've always been the team to beat, and that's why like I am yeah. so smug when Victory beat them because you're beating a good <laughs> team um, when that happens. So, yeah, I think in terms of them, yeah, they they looked fantastic. I didn't really understand what City were doing. Like I got it in the sense that like they love to play possession-based football, right? But when they had the ball, they seemed kind of lethargic this game and so much of Sydney's attack came through those moments on the counter um and then on top of that there were just some really shaky moments in terms of City's defense um that were a bit like how, how how's it going sort of so yeah there was a bit going on for City um I don't think it was a very good performance from them and I I agree with what you're saying, Sam, in terms of like not having that creativity in the midfield um, to complement someone like Policina. But I'm kind of interested as to why Galich hasn't been starting. There might be a reason for that. Unfortunately, Harrow, um, Galich's number one fan, is not on the podcast today and should probably know why that is. But, um, yeah, she's been coming on in the second half and that early part of the season she showed so much in terms of being able to play forward with creativity and, mm. and create really interesting chances. Um, yeah. The loss of Kote Rojas again, I don't think that can really be understated because um, she does bring such a dynamic element to whatever attack she's playing with. So yeah, it's a interesting moment for City. I think maybe they'll be a bit embarrassed after that. So I'm keen to see how they react um, and if they're going to go in and thump another team. They haven't really been thumping people this season apart from, I think, that Brisbane result, which was weird. So, yeah. Um, But Sydney, like, Sydney are good. Whatever. You heard heard it from me. You heard heard it here first. Sydney are good. I admit it. (laughs) Sorry. You know that? He admit it. Um, (laughs) But the thing with these two teams as well, which is quite interesting in terms of the contrast, is that Sydney have so many players who can score goals, but City, particularly their starting 11 in this game, just didn't. Like outside of Politina, really there there aren't any reliable goal scorers in that starting 11. Like Henry scored a couple at the start of the season. Wilkinson's been here or there. But like you don't really have that many Whereas Sydney, you've got your, basically your front three, your Vine, your Haley, your, your, your Princess Savini, and you've also got Sarah Hunter who could score from distance and Mackenzie Hawksby. So it's like they, they just have more – they're a more multidimensional team and they have more um, sort of elements to their game, I think, that is able to counteract, even though City are a possession-based team and in this game they out-possess Sydney as well, they, they just ha- they're just more effective across the field. They just have better players – able to be more dangerous in more ways, if that makes sense. It absolutely does. And I suppose the only positive thing for City is that 
obviously they've done well to start the season, so they're not in any sort of like panic mode. Um, and the really, really positive thing is, is that they're probably going to be getting a lot of attacking players back. So we know that Cote Royas isn't with them at the moment because she's away on national team duties. Once we pass the February window, she's coming back. So you'd think mm. that's one positive sign. Um, and there was also the story, I think it was last week or the week before, that Holly McNamara has been cleared to start kind of coming back into um, playing yeah, time. Exciting. She'll be playing um, some friendlies against the young Matildas. I think they're doing a little camp during the February international window. So we know what Holly McNamara offers. So if City can get her kind of backfiring for the lead into finals and then finals proper, Cote Rojas as well, it could be a situation where they just they have a bit of a dry spell now and then things uh, really get back into the swing of things at the back end of the season. Um, so, yeah, I'm not too worried about City at the moment. It's more blip than panic for mine. Um and yeah, just with City, like, I know I said the question, but I didn't mean it in the sense that Sydney haven't been a title contender this season. It just seemed, I think like you said, Sam, they really threw down the gauntlet this time around and really said, where's Celia? We didn't go anywhere. Like, I don't know why I whispered that. It felt right at the time. Um, <laughs> but it does. It opens up an interesting question because I think it's been a really interesting point, I suppose, not just this season but the last couple of seasons where the a lot of the talk out of Sydney FC seems to be that they don't think they get enough respect for what they've mm. done, what they've achieved. Um, I feel like we've spoken about it so many times. Yeah, she'll just roll her eyes so hard. She saw her own brain. <laughs> <laughs> but, but, like, I have receipts. Um, so, like, you know, how many times Ante Juric has just been absolutely incredulous that more of his players haven't been called up into Matilda's environments? Um, mm. There's been so many situations where just, like, um, Sydney FC players have seemingly been overlooked or just haven't gotten enough of the recognition um, that they've deserved. There was the whole thing with the Big Blue last week and the the storm in the teacup about the combined Big Blue 11 that was posted on Keep Up, which was a, a nothing story but became a whole thing. Um, and then Courtney Vine was on Dub Zone uh, over the weekend and she was like, yeah, we've got the best backline in the league and I don't think they get enough credit. So is there any actual validity to this Sydney FC belief that they do not get enough credit for how good they are? Or are they just trying to, like, work themselves up, I suppose? Is that a, a weird way of putting it? But do you know what I mean? Yeah, I think it's both. Um, I don't think Sydney get enough credit for how good they've been, particularly not for how consistently good they've been. And given the, the the players that they have brought through in the process of being good, like I think it was like last season or the season before when they won the premiership, they had the youngest average team in the league. And like, it's pretty extraordinary when you think about, you know, how young some of these players are, like 18, 19, 20 years old. And they lost very, very few games. They kept a record number of clean sheets last season. Like the things that they have achieved with the players available have been amazing. Um, I do agree with Ante Juric um, in his assessment of particularly of Charlotte McLean. Um, 
I think she's fantastic. And he has really, really um, talked her up over the last two years in particular because she has been absolutely central to Sydney being um, title contenders and title winners. And when you compare her to someone like a Claire Hunt, who's been called up for the Cup of Nations squad, you know, I had an interesting conversation with someone about this recently where, you know, you look at someone like Claire Hunt, who's been an outstanding player in a not very good team versus a Charlotte McLean, who has been a very good player in a very good team. And so the relativity of that, um, that lens has potentially affected the way that those two players are seen. Um, Even though if you do look at their stats, technically Hunt has achieved sort of more um, in particular kinds of areas than what McLean has, but also, you know, McLean's playing in a much better team. And so she doesn't have to do as much as what Claire Hunt does in defense. You know, it doesn't matter. Um, But in terms of the defense, yes. And even just looking at the stats of the ladder at the moment, like Sydney have conceded the fewest goals of anyone else in the league. They've conceded nine goals in 10 games. You know, like they are statistically the best defence in the league and that is a defence that has been anchored by Charlotte McLean and Matt Tobin, who are two players who, you know, you say their names to most people, they'd be like, what, number one, who? And number two, if they actually know who they are, they're like, oh, yeah, you know, Charlotte McLean and Matt Tobin, they play in the MPL, you know, and yet they've they've been these incredible quality players and so consistent over two, at least two years. So, it's, so yeah, I see it from that perspective. And I think the, you know, obviously, like Courtney Vines, Matilda, um, Princess Abini has been called up to the Matildas over the past 18 months as well. You know, I think they probably get the amount of attention that they deserve based on their performances in the dub. But I also think that they're both reaching a point now where they need to challenge themselves um, and they need to go overseas, particularly Courtney Vine. I think that she has so many more um, ceilings to crash through in terms of her own game. Um, that she, but she's not going to be able to achieve that here. I think she needs to go somewhere else. And Princess Sabini as well. She's getting on, like, now that she's sort of entering into her mid-20s, she's starting to get a little bit braver. She's starting to sort of um, realise the elements of her football that I think need work. And similar t- to Courtney, I don't think she's going to be able to develop those here. So, anyway, that's that's the, the TLDR. I agree. I, I have to respect what Ante does, though, because... He needs to bang, like, he needs to pump up his own players. And I think it's, I don't know if it's become much of a thing, but at least in doing that, um, it might not have a direct influence on what players coaches select, but it definitely generates conversation um, and it draws attention to what those players are doing. So that obviously must have an impact somehow. And I, but I, I do, and I completely agree with the Charlotte McLean thing in terms of her being overlooked but at the same time I understand that there's a lot of things that we don't necessarily get to know about around these kinds of decisions and there's conversations that we're not necessarily privy to and that's not me being like there's been conversations or anything like that like I literally have no idea but I'm just selection seems like a there's so much that we don't know um but I would love to see her get a call up Um, and I think, but just as a whole, like Sydney do not get to claim any kind of like, maybe it's because they can't be underdogs at this point that they need to create an identity of some kind of 
out of something, right? Um, but as a whole, I don't think that they're an underrated team in the dub. No one's like, oh my God, I just don't know if Sydney are any good. Like I'm, they might actually be, be rubbish. Like no one's thinking that. And so I'm just like, what do you want? What do you want from us? <laughs> do you want us to say you're good more? I don't know. Like, yeah. Anyway, so, but yes, at the same time, it spurs on discussion. So maybe I'm just falling for Sydney FC clickbait. I'm not sure. <laughs> um, but, yeah, so I I don't think they're underrated. I think they're the right amount of rated. <laughs> and also if I think I doing... would also just like to throw in, um, this isn't necessarily my take, but a uh, friend of the pod, Tom, would say that Sydney just take Newcastle players um, once they're about to reach a good point and then go from there. So that's a – anyway, sorry. Putting it on the man to be the devil's advocate even though he's not even <laughs> <laughs> What I was going to say because I feel like shit-stirring is maybe Sydney FC would be rated more highly – if they knew how to win grand finals <gasps> against Melbourne. Carissa, why would you say that? Why would you bring this up? I just Don't hold your hands out is... wide. You knew what you were doing. I just think it's my responsibility as a Kairakuni Cross truther to mention <laughs> that Kairakuni Cross scored at 120th minute of the League <laughs> Championship in Cogra, April 2021. I just think... It bears repeating. And I think we should also take a minute to acknowledge uh, the brick wall of the Gold Coast herself, Casey Dumont, and her performance in the 2022 A-League Women's Grand Final. But that's not that's, that's a bit of a nice um, Anywho, that's, that is actually, but, like, genuinely, like, in a not shit takey way, you can't pretend that not winning the Grand Finals hasn't detracted somewhat and maybe that's rightly or wrongly detracted from what Sydney does but if they had won both of those grand finals or even one of those grand finals the conversation would be different because we would have that proof that they can win the biggest prize in Australian women's football but as it stands they have been the the best most consistent team of the last two seasons let's say like post-COVID but they don't have nearly as much silverware to prove it as they should. And I think that's where the kind of detraction, and I'm doing quotes, uh, listeners, because anyone who doesn't say that Sydney hasn't been the best team of the last two seasons is lying or doesn't watch the dub, basically. Um, The only thing is that they don't have those grand final wins. That's literally it. And it depends on how highly you rate that, but you can't, ignore that as a factor in the conversation in my opinion no, um, I agree with that and that's probably also something that Ante Juric uses as fuel for the players right like they've got to the the, the very very end of the adventure only to fall short at the final hurdle and it sucks like I was in the media box for the like after both of those games and it was I think it was the the 20 2021 final maybe like he was in tears he was devastated he was devastated for the players because he knew and they all knew that they were the best team of the season they'd won the premiership plate 
And yet when it came to just that final moment, they weren't able to get it done. And maybe that's their 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 burden. They have the expectation of being the favourite now on their shoulders and that's a whole other mental game that they're, they're having to deal with that maybe other teams don't. That's why perhaps a Melbourne victory can go and do what they did, even though they weren't necessarily the best team throughout the season because they don't have that um, that expectation on them to be able to go and, and do the whole thing and do the double. So, yeah, I don't know. But it'll be interesting to see how this season in particular shakes out because Western coming in and screwing things up, is it's it's fun and it's good for the league and it's good for narratives. Um and it adds like a different a different level of um, competition, I think, for all three of the teams who we regularly see uh, in the top four, the two Melbourne clubs and Sydney. So, yeah, I don't know. But, again, it's good to talk about. Like we talk about it for like 10 minutes. So it's, you know, at least it's something though, Bat. I just want it on the record that if Sydney do win a grand final now, it's not because they deserve to. It's because they've been handed the grand final hosting rights on a plate. So I just... Um... <laughs> Wow. Wow. She said what she Sorry. said. And speak your shit, my girl. Speak your shit. <laughs> I got my tin hat on. Sorry. Who was she Jenny does, Townsend? Don't we all? Before yeah, all right. I'm sorry. We've been here. We've, we've talked about this. I'm sorry. Her string is light blue and she is Pepe Silvering this. Um, and yet Sydney hosted anyway. the last two grand finals and they're still lost. So <laughs> Yes, but they earned that right. Oh, they gosh. earned yeah. it. They did. To be kicked out of their own home twice. What the fuck? Anyway, I'm going to stop. We've spent half an hour talking about Sydney FC. So if anyone accuses us of fucking Victorian bias, I will throw hands. Let's talk about, there was actually a really perfect segue point, Sam, where, again, it, I think it was your Sydney bias, just slipping through slightly, Western United just... screwing things up. Yes. In quotes. Quotation marks. But let's Lots talk about Western United. Yeah. <laughs> let's talk about Western United and their loss to Perth because there was, you know, points during the season where we were like, Western United, untouchable, untouchable, not going to lose. This is now their second loss. And it coming against Perth feels kind of surprising, I suppose, because we really haven't seen the best of Perth or any sort of real consistency from Perth. So what does this 3-1 win to Perth against Western United actually tell us about these two teams, friends? Mm, I'm, I'm, to be honest, I'm a bit of a Perth truther. I don't think they're that bad. Sorry, that that sounds rude to put it like that. I actually think that <laughs> Perth are quite good. They've just obviously had some interruptions this season. Um, lost some important players. So Riley Bayston is obviously the big name there. But they have quality and they have a great core of young players. Um, I mean, I think they've... I feel like they're doing better at this point in the season. I actually brought up a comparison to last season and promptly forgot everything that I told myself I would remember. But in terms of where they are in this season, like they're not, they're either getting draws or they're getting narrow wins. Um, and so, and they have had some losses as well, obviously, but they're just like, I, I don't, yeah, they're not, they're not that 
they're not that bad. I think this was well within the realm of possibility. It's just I think Western also, yeah, obviously are struggling a little bit um, and I don't, yeah, I just McDonald not being there, like how can you say that that doesn't have an impact here but they do have quality on the rest like they have someone like Danielle Steer who's very capable um so I'm not actually that that's just me being like I don't I don't know what I'm saying I don't know what I'm saying but Western United are fallible and I think also yeah Chloe Legazzo she's still out with a foot injury and when she was playing and coming on even in those early games of the season she was able to transform um or like bring like this energy to the side and kind of reinvigorate them and and push them for those those wins and those late goals and so not having that I'm not sure if they've really got an equivalent player who's able to do the same kind of job that she does in that regard so I feel like that definitely is missing um like the goal like Perth scoring a goal so late in the game where the the 3-1 win that they just had over Western I think kind of points to that as well a little bit but in saying that like Hillary Beal had an absolute like she had a really strong performance I think Mm. I don't think there's anything too serious to diagnose for Western um I think maybe just the league's more competitive this season I don't know I feel like that's my main take but Perth aren't out of it I feel like they kind of the end of last season because they just missed out on finals um there was kind of a bit of excitement around them um but because they haven't come out guns blazing this season I think we've kind of forgotten that they are Actually, there's quite a good core here. They're quite capable. Um, they've got Hannah Lowry, who is, in my opinion, fantastic. Susan Ponsenkamp's rising to the occasion. Sophia Sakalis is nippy. Like, it's just there's there's a lot to like about Perth. So I'm not going to – and they're defensively quite a strong side as well, and I think that's going to be really, really important heading into this last kind of sprint for fight. Well, would you say it's a sprint at the moment? Jog? Fartlek? I don't know. <laughs> I feel like they're coming Sonic? around the sort of the final bend now but, and but like just about to see it. Please explain like Fartlek. Like, we can't move you... on until you explain Fartlek. Fartlek, um, I know what you're thinking because it's me and it's a word of fart <laughs> in it, but it's an actual thing. It's like um, fitness runs that you do in sports like soccer where you run really hard for a bit and then you jog for a bit. I don't, tempo runs, like. Tempo shuttle okay. runs, basically. So, yeah. And I okay. could, you could definitely say that a lot of teams do fart leg runs in the dub. They'll have, like, I mean, Canberra were practically crawling there and now they're sprinting again. So who knows? <laughs> I'm actually four years old and you said fart and now I'm giggling. <laughs> <laughs> it's a good point, though, that you make, Angela, about Perth. Um, I do think they are better than what the vibe is, or that maybe what what they're they're being credited for. And like when you look back through all of their games this season, uh, not only have they uh, sort of had draws or sort of slim wins, but they've also only had slim losses as well. They've only lost one game by more than a goal, and that was a three nil loss to Victory. So like every other game, it's just been it's like a three two to to someone or, you know, like a one nil, like either way. So they've always sort of been in it um, and it's either slipped one way or the other. And 
like I, I I do think that this was uh, on the off particularly off the back of their win over Wellington. This is a really good statement kind of um, boost for for the again this young group of players who have been working under Alex Parkers for two three years now, um, and they're starting to sort of get some wind in their sails and. Their run coming up actually is pretty favourable. They play Newcastle, Brisbane, the Wanderers, and then Adelaide, and then Wellington again. Like they're all sort of mid to lower table teams, and you'd reckon if they can string a couple of wins together, they might actually bounce up the table pretty quickly. Um, they just need to make sure that they keep the players that they've got fit, because uh, I think if they were to lose another attacker, um, that could be potential sort of like sirens for 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 Perth if they lose to Sierra Hinson for example because she's so so important in so many ways going forward or if something happens to Hannah Lowry who was especially good against Western um, and such an important linking player between defense and, and attack yeah you'd have to sort of be like oh maybe it was the, the signs were there at the start but maybe not towards the end but fingers crossed that doesn't actually happen because I I do really like watching Perth and seeing Alana Jantevsky finally sort of embrace the moment and that free kick was just stunning. That was going to be my love to see it, but I, I couldn't get, go past the Alex Chidiak penalty. Um, but seeing her sort of coming more and more into the squad as well has, has been really encouraging. So, yeah, and I'm, I just like – I also assess Perth through the lens of like this is a large group of young Matildas um, and the more that they play together at this kind of level, the better – they will be at international level for it. So lots of ways to look at it. I'm looking at the ladder and I tried to do math and then I remembered um, I don't do that, but um, they've got two games in hand. So as you were saying earlier, they can really make a, a quick jump up the ladder, yeah. not just a... A, a good jump, a quick one at that. So, yeah, going to be really interesting to see how Perth uh, kind of manoeuvre this next little chunk of the season. I will also say in Western United's defence, they've kind of – they have played a lot of different places recently um, and they've kind of – I mean, I have to – there's been seasons where Victory have played all over Melbourne mainly, so it's not quite – the same thing but so they went for you know they played a regional game in Ballarat they've played in Hobart they played at Amy Park and they've also played in Caroline Springs so not having a home base I think can be a little bit disruptive in these kind of and and yeah not having a home game advantage in those kinds of scenarios can be um I guess have an effect have an effect of some sort especially when you don't have their western core who are great Thank you for sharing the podcast, guys. We love that. Thank you. But anyway, that I just wanted to make to make note of that as well. And also, Sydney have had that same problem in the past as well, um, in terms of erratic fixturing. But this is this is purposeful erratic fixturing for reasons. And speaking of fixturing as well, if Western United are going to have a big stumble. It's potentially going to be in these couple of weeks because they have back-to-back -back games um, in the space of three days. Like they, after this game against Perth, they then have to play Newcastle on Wednesday and then they have to play Melbourne City on Saturday. 
that's not a lot of time to rest and to recover and to train and to try and address potential holes in the game plan um, before having to back up and then play Newcastle again on the 26th. So it's like, that's a lot of games in succession and a lot of games that they kind of have to win now if they really want to be in the top two at the very least. Um, whereas sort of the teams that are around them who they're trying to fend off with a stick, they have a little bit more leeway in terms of actual fixturing. So yeah, we saw what happened, um, I think, a couple of weeks ago after, um, I think it was a similar situation with Sydney where they had back-to-back games and they looked really fatigued and then it sort of flipped around and there was, a, I think it was Western as well, who looked really tired the following week because they had to back up really quickly. So it's, yeah, fuck, we could talk about fixturing all day, but it actually does have a, a really big effect on the players and the way that the team plays. So, yeah, I'm going to be really curious to see how Western go over the next three games in particular. But, yeah, like I said, that Western United game midweek is in... Ballarat so that just adds like we said another kind of layer of complexity and as you said Sam there's been so many teams so far this season who have had to deal with kind of interesting little runs of really um, condensed schedules victory had one city had one so um, not a new thing but doesn't make it any easier to navigate Um, but let's get into some Rondo questions we've really like every thing we've discussed so far has been a bit of a deep dive so let's try and be a little bit quicker um with the Rondo questions and Western United chat is actually a perfect segue for this. Um, As we enter February, we know there's a couple of players who have to head back to their parent clubs. Um, We know that Chloe Legazzo is probably heading back to Kansas city. We know that Alex Chidiak is heading back to Louisville. So they're two massively important players, two players who are just so obviously good and so obviously important to their team. So how do the likes of a Melbourne victory and a Western United go forward without being able to call on these players anymore? For, I think, Chidiak in particular, like I I did just speak about how Legazzo provides what she does for Western United. So I think that will definitely be missed. But I think Chids is going to be more of a gap for victory. And I'm a bit stressed about that because she really... Um, provides so much and I think has kind of been the heartbeat for this team and has been so consistent this season. Um, And even with her, they've kind of faltered a little bit. Um, Not, I wouldn't say not because of her, but just even with her in the midst. And yeah, so I think that that's going to be interesting for victory. Um, because the next kind of people in line to step up are still very much um, developing themselves and, and learning. So we've got Alana Murphy, who has has been great, Paige Zoys as well. They're kind of um, similar in terms of what they can, like attacking midfielders basically, but they're just not at the same level as Chids yet. So that could be interesting. Um, and like... KK, she, I just, she hasn't been, again, she's quite a different player and yeah, I'm, I'm not too sure if, yeah, and has been providing something a little bit different and has been quite quiet, to be honest. I don't want to speak ill of KK, but I just, I, she hasn't been as busy as I thought she would be in this victory side. Um, Anyway, so Chids, that's stressful. Uh, Legazzo, less stressful, I think, for Western United, um, especially as that was kind of her role coming into this season as as a space to to rebuild and to kind of be 
the the part-time big dog i guess um i'm also intrigued by i think katrina gore will be heading back to sweden and i think for brisbane raw that's going to be a massive loss mm. because we saw at the start of the season what they looked like without her we've seen we've seen what she can do when she is on the field um not only in terms of like the opportunities that she herself takes and the chances that she has in games but just creating for her teammates as well so whew, that that could although I guess you could also point out that Brisbane possibly have less to lose than a victory or a Western so I don't know um I think for Brisbane that that's could just keep them out definitely out of finals if they're not yeah because I don't I don't see anyone kind of stepping into Gorey's presumably very small shoes um anyway <laughs> metaphorically big shoes but phys- like literally I imagine quite small um anyway Sam yeah <laughs> yes um I agree I think I think the loss of Chidiak is going to be the biggest of all of the players who are leaving um I think she is even bigger than Jess McDonald leaving Western and that's because when you just look at the, her stats, like five goals and five assists in 12 games, 11 games, whatever it is, um, is is extraordinary. And the the way that she is able to balance out the entire um, field for victory as well, like she is the perfect sort of 8-10 kind of player. She's able to do both. And we saw how crucial she was when she was able to stay on for victory last season after there was sort of some conjecture that she would be leaving because of it like a some like a stint end coming to an end but then she stayed for the finals and then she was literally probably the best player for over over the, the entire finals period right like she's she's the reason victory really got to the grand final at all um and like even just the game on the weekend like scored a goal that fantastic assist like we talked about and you love to see it at the start of the episode she's crucial to this team and i i don't think victory have the the quality of players to be able to um, replace that. Um, and yeah, similar vibes with Brisbane. I just don't think that they have, they don't have anyone who can replace Katrina Gorey, which is like sort of great because like you, you want your Matildas to be irreplaceable. You want them to be so good that, you know, you, you don't actually have anyone who can come in and do the job for them. Um, but in terms of the context of the dub, yeah, it's, it's not looking very good for Brisbane or for victory, unfortunately. I mean, unfortunately for you, it's great for me, but yeah. Yeah, my, my only addition to this conversation is um, Chloe Legazzo, obviously a big loss because her individual quality has like pulled Western out of a couple of holes so far this season. The thing you lose, uh, particularly with the Chids, maybe less so with a Gori. Gori probably is in the perfect Venn diagram of like individual brilliance and what I'm about to describe, which is what Chids does, is the fact that she has the individual brilliance, but her combinations with everyone around her are just yeah. phenomenal. And we literally saw that with BD Goad. We've been seeing that all season between the two of them. But because this is also Chids's second season with the Buck, we know that she has those relationships with Catherine Zimmerman, with Melina Ayres, who we hope gets, you know, fit soon enough. So you're taking out not just someone who can pull a game out of her own kind of behind, but who is really key and integral to everything around her as well. Um, To me, Paige Zoyce looks like the likely replacement. I'm air quoting again because I cannot stop. Um, 
And it's not an indication of Zoyce's talent or quality. It's just a really big role to fill. So um, I'm going to be really keen to see how she goes. And I don't think um, she'll disgrace herself by any means, but it is a really, really big um, role that, you know, she's potentially needing to fill. So... Yeah. Um, Catherine Zimmerman we're, coming we're, back is also very well timed. Well done to huge. Catherine Zimmerman's fibula. Congratulations. <laughs> <laughs> well done, Bones. Um, <laughs> it's it's going to be really interesting. So I think um, this last round before Cup of Nations is going to be a bit of a, a swan song for a couple of players, and we'll kind of enter a, a new dawn post Cup of Nations. Um, one last Rondo question before we get into a boot. So not to – he's getting a bit of me time uh, this month. Uh, friend of the pod, Tom, who you now all know uh, consistently asks if coaches should be sacked, um, has moved on from Popovich at Canberra because obviously they won. He has now turned his sights onto Adrian Stenter at Adelaide United. Um, I think Tom just wants blood. Tom just wants someone to be sacked and he has decided that Adrian Stenter is now his focus. But in Tom's defence, he has put forward a compelling case. So in the last seven games, Adelaide United are no wins, six losses, one draw. They've only scored twice. None of those goals were from open play. They've conceded 12. Um, They last won December 17th. We are now the 6th of February we're recording and they've just really plummeted down the ladder they're currently in seventh and like we were talking about there are teams around them who have games in hand who could really kind of just jet past them so um this is basically tom's segment now should this manager be sacked how are we feeling about adrian stenter um does he have pressure on him should um you know are the reds should they be thinking about getting mutual with adrian stenter based on this current run of form from adelaide yeah, look, you'd have to think so because it's not like he is facing the challenge of having to um, cobble together a new group of players. It's not like the players that he's got are untested at this level. It's not like he has a brand new project and he needs some time in the same way that an Alex Aparkas has needed time with Perth or whatever. We know what this group of players on paper are capable of doing. We've seen them do it before they've done it on Adrian Stenter so it's just like what what needs to change here something something has to change and I like I, the the game against Brisbane on the weekend they were the dominant side for so much of that game and yet it's just the same old problem they just couldn't put the ball in the bloody net and that's the whole aim of it that's the whole aim of the game of football everyone folks who's who are listening for the first time you got to put it in the net. If you don't put it in the net, you're not going to win, probably. I've learned so much. I know. Incredible. You may have read about it. So, you know, this is something that needs to be changed. This is like hopefully the return of Emily Condon is going to help in this sense um, because she is, I in the in past seasons, she has been an Alex Chidiak for Adelaide. She's been that really creative player. She's been the player who's different, the player who offers something different, um, who sees the game differently and is able to create connections with her teammates that I don't think many other players at Adelaide can. So her coming back would be really important for them. But they just need to score goals. Like, what does it? What's it going to take? Like, giving other people a go. Like, I just, 
I remember when I think I mentioned this a couple of months ago, but when Caitlin Ford was coming back from her Liz Frank injury, I think she was still at Portland. She talked about the fact that she had lost so much confidence in her ability to shoot the ball at the goal that all she did for like half an hour after every training session was she stood in the box and she just shot the ball and she shot and she shot and she shot just to remind her body of how it feels to score goals. And I feel like Adelaide need to do something similar where they just need to remember how it feels to score goals. They just need to practice this thing because so, so many times they, they like they just try to do too much in the final third all the time. It's just like there's one final pass that didn't need to be made. There was one final decision that they could have cut out of the equation. They just need to have someone to put their foot through it and to have a ping and to see what happens. They just, it's, yeah, it's like they're overthinking it. I think Marissa, you mentioned, I think, well, I think maybe it was you or maybe it was Angela um, mentioned in the one of the last episodes that, you know, they are sort of coming in, particularly this group of players, with a little bit more expectation to match what they were able to do last season, particularly their front three players who scored so many goals together and they seem to do it so smoothly as well, so easily. Um, and so they sort of have to battle with themselves to to get through that this season now. It's, just, it's like a mental block. It's... Which is which is a shame to see because they're not a bad team. Like pretty much all the teams between the top, you know, the f- number five and number nine in the ladder are fine. They're fine teams. They just need to have those extra kinds of quality players to be able to make them turn them from a fine team into a good team, from like a mid-table team to a push in the underside of the top four kind of team. You know. Um, I don't think Adelaide have got that yet. So, yeah, anyway, yes, long long story short, I do think that questions need to be asked at this point now. Yeah, so I think previous, like, it's interesting coming into these discussions with the longer season because I think in previous years, you know, round 13, you're like, mm, you just see it out. But um, at this point in the season, like, they, well, we've got 20 rounds. So we've got a fair way to go they've got six games left um they could push for finals but at the same time like I don't know the disruption of changing coaches mid-season that's the other thing when Tom does these takes I'm like okay so who comes in who has the star power to come in and completely change what is going on right now Mm. I just don't think that we have that kind of luxury in a-league women at this point in time um but also so I think my I'm kind of landing on like you would want to see how Stanta goes for the rest of the season and then it's probably you know those end of season chats where it's if they can't do much more than what they're doing at the moment and they can't get some I think they really need to you know throw down the gauntlet to borrow an expression for earlier in the episode but really like thump some teams um, and put or just have some really good wins, not necessarily big wins, but like convincing wins with exciting football that we've seen from them in the past to convince, like kind of get him into the into the green because, yeah, at the moment it's not, it's not great and it's a bit puzzling to be honest. But at the same time, sometimes like these things can happen as well, like, 
if things stay the same and there isn't new blood or new ideas, um, things can kind of, I don't know, continue on as, as they were. So I don't know. Yeah. I'm it's, I, I don't like talking about people losing their jobs. It's not nice, but yeah, you do have to ask the question, I guess. Yeah. Come around 20. Let's see. Mm. Not to continue talking about people no longer in their jobs, but let's talk about this week's boot. Um, <laughs> we're, Great segue. We're, that is also a really good point segwaying. and very relevant to this. Yeah, Yes, it is. We're, we're doing some segueing. So this week's boot uh, is about Ash Wilson having to quit her post as Newcastle's dub coach. Um the she's been replaced by Gary Van Egmond, who Van Egmond, you you know, Novocastrian royalty was already at the Jets in a capacity I don't remember off the top of my head, but was already there. So he has replaced Ash Wilson. And the club statement uh, on Wilson's departure said that uh, she reflected on the needs of the team and the demands of coaching in addition to the focus on her leading teaching role before stepping down. So in a surprise to absolutely no one, a person who works in the dub has a second job and all of a sudden that juggle just became unsustainable. It became too difficult and Ash Wilson has now, you know, been unable to continue in her role as Newcastle's coach because of it. And I said to both of you um, just before this episode started that it was kind of ironic in a weird sort of way because it was a Newcastle player last season, Georgia Boric, who had to make the decision to step away from her commitments at the Jets because her work situation changed and she could no longer do the juggle. And the quote from Ash Wilson at the time, it just, it it's not funny, but if you don't laugh about it, you probably go into a depression. So at the, at the time when Georgia Boric had to um, step away from the Jets, Ash Wilson said, due to unexpected changing work commitments, she had to make the difficult decision to discontinue the season. And it's an unfortunate reminder of some of the pressures and challenges the women's games brings the women's game brings of balancing work and football. So it's just, it's a reminder none of none of us needed, basically. Um, but the, the overall boot is just, once again, the reminder that for every kind of step forward the league collectively takes toward, towards full-time professionalism, there's always something that reminds you that we are still so far away from the ultimate end goal of every part of the ecosystem being able to give their full time and attention to the dub. So it's not just players, yeah. it's coaches, it's referees, it's all of the support staff, um, administra- administrators, media, everything kind of surrounding the dub. We've, we've obviously made super strides with the players and, you know, um, there's still, you know, ways to go, but they've obviously been the most uh, visible and most palatable, I suppose, way of pushing for full-time professionalism, but only pushing them forward doesn't really help the competition as a whole. So, yeah, um, it's just 
it's it's not the sacking that Tom was hoping for because it's not a sacking. It's actually just really sad that she can no longer do a job she obviously cares about and has obviously been passionate about because I feel like Ash Wilson's been, you know, in and around the Jets either in the, the head coach capacity or as the assistant for Yonks now. So it's just, it's shitty. I wish I had a better word than shitty, but um, if anyone else has takes on this. Yep. Said it perfectly, Marissa. And what sort of annoyed me a little bit was that in this statement uh, that Newcastle made on their website, they they used language which kind of like was a little bit fluffy and kind of like beat around the bush a little bit. Like this is a, so. This is a quote from the from the statement on the website. In discussions around the addition of this additional support, being someone else from the club. This, the team's head coach, Ash Wilson, has reflected on the needs of the team and the demands of coaching in addition to the focus on her leading teaching role. As a result, Ash has confirmed it. She's a full-time teacher. A leading teaching role is not, you know, like let's be real about what this is. She's a full-time teacher and she's also expected to do what is effectively full-time football on top of that. Like this is something that coaches in the dub have had to deal with for its entire existence and the fact that there is still so much work to do um, is really, really frustrating. And, you know, the, like I, I'm, I'm really um, hopeful that the coaches union, which um, at the moment is, is starting to gain some traction, actually is recognised by Football Australia and by the Congress because most recently um, they applied for full participation at that level of decision-making and they were turned down. And that's um, devastating and it's a setback for the entire ecosystem of the sport because if you've got players who are moving towards full-time professionalism in this competition and yet you are not providing them with the full-time resources in terms of coaching that they need, like then they're, they're not going to achieve their full potential. And given one of the objectives of Legacy 23 coming off the back of the Women's World Cup is women in leadership and women in coaching, this is an area that really seriously needs to be addressed. So it's a real shame that this has happened um, and it's not lost on me that this often um, happens mostly to women coaches and not usually to men. Um, the number of women coaches in the dub has gone down over the years as the um, the league has grown and has become more lucrative and started to attract more attention and more um, investment. Um, so it's a real shame in that respect. We've now only got two women coaches in the, the entire competition, um, which is Kat Smith at Western Sydney Wanderers and Nat Lawrence at Wellington. Um, hopefully that's something that the league is going to be addressing. And I was encouraged... Um, by the precedent that was set, um, weirdly with the uh, the re-signing of Graham Arnold as the head coach of the Socceroos, he said that one of the things that he wants to do with his new role is to really accelerate the development of coaches at youth level. Um, so potentially that's something that can be translated into the women's game as well. Uh, and hopefully the APL are going to really seriously understand the various pressures that coaches in this competition are under when it comes to delivering the product on the field, because you're only as good as your coach, really. Like at this level, all the players are pretty much as good as each other. The thing that changes the game is coaches, it's tactics, it's it's thinking about the game, it's making decisions, it's making substitutions, it's all that stuff that happens when you get to this level. So if coaches aren't being given the support that they need, um, I don't think anybody can blame them for taking a step back. And we've seen it happen again and again. 
hopefully over the next couple of years as the league becomes a full-time league, which is something that the APL has earmarked um, as part of the sort of um, the legacy of the Women's World Cup in particular, growing, growing in terms of rounds, in terms of expanding to more um, clubs and, you know, all that sort of stuff, then hopefully that will filter out and mean that coaches can be full-time as well. But, yeah, we continue to call for full-time professionalism, but what else is new? Anyway, let's finish up this episode on some how goods because there have been some truly excellent things that have occurred in the last week or so. Angela, did you have a how good? I did. Um, My how good, uh, I think it validates the fact that sometimes you do need to whinge about things. Um, I don't know if this was actually a response to me whinging last time I went to CB Smith about the lack of beers, but there were beers this weekend. A local brewery company came out and they had the Victory Draft, which is like Melbourne Victory's bespoke beer. People were like, is it good? It is a beer that is drinkable, I would say. Um, <laughs> You're selling it. And you know it. what? I am selling it, but it's also beer at the dub, right? So I'm not going to turn my nose up at that. I actually bought a slab of it because I like to support local business. Yeah, yeah, that's why. <laughs> that's why. Um, I sank quite a few at the game. Anyway, so I'm just happy that there was beer at the dub. I also had um, a delightful chicken roll from the lovely Faulkner Soccer Club canteen that was running inside this time. Um, the potato cakes were great. I just It was a great day out for me, honestly. They were also serving different beers inside. There were, there were options. So, yeah, it was, um, it was a good spread. Um, it made sense that this was the case as well. So Melbourne Victory were going... I think all out for a, for a good match day experience because this was their, they coin it dub, dub round. Or how do you say it, Marissa? I say dub round because if you go and look <laughs> on Melbourne Victory's social media, they have stylized it to be D-U-B and then R-N-D. So as, you know, and you, if you've listened to us for long enough, you know that we love to read things quite literally. So um, dub round. Dubrand. Yeah. So makes sense. But anyway, that's my how good. I had a great I had a great time. Um the game was good as well. So yeah. Um grub at the dub and also pub at the dub. There we go. We've had dub at the pub, now we've got pub at the dub. We love that. Anyway, yeah, that's my how good. Beer. I I really need you to make a TikTok where, you know, someone asks you was the beer any good? And you just reply, a win is a win, a win is a win, a win is a win. And I just, I need that from you. So please um, take that on board if you could. Thank you. Sam, what did you, not what did you love to say? What is your how good for this week? Uh, So my how good for this week uh, refers to a player who um, has done some really amazing work off the field over the past uh, sort of 12 to 18 months. Uh, that player is Chloe Legazzo. And even though Legazzo uh, is unfortunately potentially going to be leaving the dub in the next couple of weeks to go back to the NWSL, she's going to do it with a flourish. She's going to do it with glitter. She's going to do it with rainbows. So Chloe Legazzo has been announced as an ambassador for the International Gay and Lesbian Football Association's uh, 
annual tournament, which is being uh, run concurrently with Sydney World Pride this year. Um, she is an ambassador with uh, Under Armour, I believe, and Under Armour are going to be one of the sponsors of the tournament. Um, and she's going to be sort of uh, coming down and hanging out and meeting fans and promoting it and talking about her experience. Um, so, yeah, so it's it's going to be fab fabulous. Um, I, I've got an opportunity to interview Chloe about her uh, her story, about her coming out story, about her experiences uh, and about the queer community in women's football more generally. Um, so keep an eye on on the ABC uh, sport website because that it's an interview that will come out hopefully in the next couple of weeks. Um, and yeah, I'm just, I'm, I'm thrilled that uh, this is a conversation that's happening and, you know, we, we haven't spoken about this on the pod yet, but because um, I think we're, we're still sort of waiting for confirmation, but the rumours uh, about the, the Saudi Arabia sponsorship of the Women's World Cup um, is really grating in this particular way. Um, and Moya Dodd, a friend of the pod, Moya Dodd, wrote a really, really good opinion piece um, at the Sydney Morning Herald about uh, the whole um, rigmarole and how it is such an own goal in terms of really misunderstanding your audience. <laughs> and, you know, Chloe Legazzo being a very proud uh, queer woman, myself as well, um, you know, it's this is a, a topic in the sport that um, I am deeply uh, sort of personally invested in, but I think it's also important that we um, really emphasise these stories because it is a, this is a community that really matters for a lot of people. It's sometimes a life and death kind of community. Um, and having someone like Chloe with a, a platform like the Matildas um, and having done the work that she's done on herself over the past year or two, um, particularly when she was injured, she did a lot of work in terms of um, becoming more confident in herself and finding her passions, her passions off the field learning to stand for things um, outside of her football. And this is just a real combination of all of that work. So, yeah, Chloe Legazzo just being great. How good. Really, truly, how good. Um, not to make it a competition, but I do think my how good is the best how good of the episode because – um, we got to see the return of Ellie Carpenter to playing football post-ACL. Um, I just, don't you, I, talking about things that have added years to my life, the return of, not to put that much pressure on Ellie Carpenter, but holy shit, my, my skin yeah. is glowing, my crops are watered to use a very, very dated meme, but honestly, <laughs> so, just so... Good, and we saw that you know she was named in the in the squad, so everyone was like, "Does this mean minutes, or is she gonna, you know, what does this actually mean?" She ended up playing half an hour, and I'm just like, "You mm -hmm. freak of nature, go mm -hmm. you, good thing." Um, loved her interview, uh, post game. So, we've spoken about in it French. So her good. French. I'm just like, go off, queen. Yeah. Um, don't know if you guys know, I went to France once. Um. <laughs> I don't sound like that. I'll tell you that much for free. Um, I did love that she's like in French. I was tired after about 10 minutes, to be honest with you, because um, when you haven't played, prof you know, professional football for however many months, I think we were at eight months. Um, mm. She did her name May last year. Um, but this is all to say how good that she is now taking, you know, we're at the back end of Ellie Carpenter's ACL rehab and we hope that it continues uh, to go smoothly, to go according to plan, that there's no hiccups and we see her uh, back in green shorts very, very shortly. So, yes, Ellie Carpenter's 
first game back from her ACL, how bloody good. But that's us done. That that was a chunky episode. We really let that one just get away from us. Real but thank you so much. Good. <laughs> thank you so much for tuning in. We appreciate it as always. Remember, you can always find us on ESPN.com.au and the ESPN app, as well as Spotify, Apple, Google, and all the usual pod spots. If you like what we do, subscribe so you get those episodes directly in your feed and leave a little review if you really like what we're doing. If you want to have a chat to us about anything that we have discussed recently, you can find us at the Far Post Pod on all social media. I want to give a quick shout out. I think their name's Nicholas. They were posting memes from my jokes from last week's pod. <laughs> oh man, good shit! Thank you for that. Real, if you want to keep doing stuff like send that, send us more memes. Yes, yeah, please just, send us memes. We'll repost them. Yeah, make memes. We really, really enjoyed it. But that's at the Far Post Pod on all social media. But until next time, players. <laughs>